Good morning, good morning, good morning. And I'm your co-host, Adia Hayden. I heard my name crystal clear. <laughs> you know, we're figuring it out. On today, uh, first, let's open up with this this question. Uh, what are women going to do? There appear to be so many blatant attacks on women's rights to define their own autonomy and have agency over their body in a way men just would not tolerate. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's the men who are in these positions. Um, and so they feel comfortable making these calls um, against a group that doesn't apply to them. It's the same kind of logic that it extends to racism, where folks in power are, feel comfortable making a judgment call that affects the lives of minorities, whether it be you know racial minorities, um, gender minorities, people who don't look like them. They have no problem policing. But let somebody try to tell a man that, you no, know, you cannot take Viagra anymore. And all, all hell would break loose for real. And that's, you know, Viagra is not here to satisfy any life-threatening conditions. Um, but How would you know? How would I, you know? This, how would these men know about abortion? Look, let, me, let, let me say this. You, if, if you were in a marriage and there was erectile dysfunction and Viagra gave function to the erectile issue, then that would be a scenario where life, um, you know, could be a problem. Um, it could be a that problem. Was, that was that was kind of tongue in cheek. It was. It was a little bit of a reach. It was a little bit of that Republican <laughs> logic going on. Ooh, uh, <laughs> ooh, did you just accuse me of having Republican logic? I'm just trying to say that we should not. These are truly life threatening conditions that oftentimes, you know, women are not in intentionally. Um, or even if they are, you know, folks are, you know, intentionally getting pregnant, but then do have health complications and, you know, unfortunately do have to terminate their situation. And if we don't make the medical means to safely do that available, then there are a whole host of other issues that could arise. And let me just say uh, in response to your uh, comment about the, you know, I sound like a Republican conversation. Let me just say that I really wish Jack Kemp would have been the Republican nominee years ago. That's all I'm going to say about that. And since then, there has not been a Republican for any national office whose policy, whether it was the faux um, keep America safe foolishness, because remember, um, we got Jimmy Carter. I know he's a Democrat, but he lost to uh, Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And we know R- Ronald Reagan did then what Republicans seem to do across the board, and that is win at any cost. He literally, literally is the sole reason why crack cocaine, among other drugs, were f- fostered upon. Black and brown community starting in Los Angeles. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen who are listening and perhaps watching, you got to research this for yourself. I'm giving you a fact. Ronald Reagan and his crew, old Oliver North, subverted congressional authority and, among other things, um, purchased drugs to sell drugs and then arms for Contra that ultimately um, in, in impacted the release of the hostages in Iran. Now, I'm saying some historical facts here, and that is just a fact. And since then, since then, the Republicans have proven they will do anything to win. Going right up to um, the current Speaker of the House. But before we get to the Speaker of the House, I, I do want to spend a little more time on this uh, drug that is one of the last options for many abortion 
patience. It turns out there's a federal. Um, I wouldn't. I'm gonna stop you right there. I wouldn't say it's one of the last options for abortion patients because right now it is used in over 50 percent of medical abortions right now. Um, it is, you know, deemed safer than a lot of over-the-counter medications because the v- symptoms. I'm sorry, the side effects of the pill and the pill that we are talking about is mifeprestone. Um, it's commonly the first step in a two-step medical abortion. Um, it uh, suppresses the medical or the pregnancy hormone as a first step to a medical abortion. So I wouldn't say that it's one of the last options for folks out there. Um, you know, if for whatever reason, and again, whatever reason a woman chooses to terminate a pregnancy or has to, um, it's used in over 50 percent of abortions right now. I thought I used the word could be. Um, yeah, but I, there shouldn't even be a could be because I don't want to qualify anyone's decision to need the medication. So could be a first option, could be a last option. Our our conversation may be mute if the federal judge in Texas rules as early as tomorrow on whether, maybe even today, unfortunately, on whether to cut off access to this medication abortion protocol. Um, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That that is a huge problem. And to your point earlier, when when you were talking about men having the right to, or not the right, but men making decisions about women's agency, women are they're, they're complicit. White women in particular. Yes, I said it. White women in particular. You keep acting like you're from Kansas. What does that mean? Glad you asked. Kansas kept voting for Bush the second, even though his policies closed down manufacturing plants in Kansas. And in one instance, manufacturing plant announced it was closing. The Bush administration said, we want to do a press conference at your plant. And then they reversed and said, guess what, people? We're not closing. And they literally kept the plant open until after the Bush press conference. And the very next week said, you know, we've changed our mind and going back to our first thought, you are all fired. Now, white women continue to vote for Republican administrations when every backward movement for women's agency and autonomy generally seems to occur in a Republican administration. There are two things you can bet your bottom dollar on. Democrat administrations leave surpluses. Republican administrations take away basic human rights under under the under the pretext of conservatism and then they want to toss theology into ideology. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Yeah, and you know, I agree <laughs> that that's a problem. And I can't speak for all women, and I certainly cannot speak for white women and, you know, their choices and who to vote for. But I know that I, you know, will look at the field and see folks who have a record and a vast record oftentimes of denying women's rights and basic human rights. Um, in general, not vote for them. That's me. That's a lot of my friends and family. That's the folk I know. Um, So, no, I I cannot understand, and I agree with the term, they are complicit in this, because it's, you know, it it played out in the election um, with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Like, so many white women just refuse to have a woman be president and, like, would go around and be like, mm, you know, actually, I don't I don't think they could handle it. I couldn't see that as a job. Oh, like, because it's the 1950s. Margaret, and Margaret Thatcher couldn't handle it, apparently. Margaret saying. Thatcher couldn't handle it. Margaret Thatcher was the Iron Lady of the United Kingdom. Now, I don't really care for the United Kingdom, but let me tell you this. Margaret Thatcher told Queen Elizabeth, is a new sheriff in town, girly girl. Music in the background tells me it's time to take off first pause for the cause you're listening to the my community plan foundation hour and we'll be right back after this short station break
YWCA Metropolitan Chicago has partnered with a global manufacturing company seeking to fill open positions in their south suburban location. No experience required. If interested, contact 773-902-8989. Email cbcf at ywcachicago.org. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit Zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Welcome back to the My Community Plan Foundation MCP Hour. We are here without a guest yet, but that's okay because we have tons of thought-provoking intellectual conversation occurring between me, Dia Hayden, and... Reverend Mitchell L. E. Kenna Johnson. You, you know, to your statement about guests, let, let me say this. I have had the pleasure of speaking with, albeit briefly in some occasions and more elongated on others, with our current mayor, that's Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and I will say she has never not stated um, that she looks forward to joining us on the air and coming on the program. But 100% of the time, she has some of her staffers engage with MCP, generally speaking, and myself in particular. And we end up running around the dad blame Mulberry Bush. However, I, I was... I guess optimistic. I was optimistic when it was that her press department, I think this is actually her press secretary, reached out to me, I want to say on Thursday or Friday, to say we are absolutely going to be on the program. We went ahead and sent her office flyers indicating this is what we're going to put out in social media. And then on yesterday, I got a text that said, hope you're having a blessed day. The flyers look great. Please connect with the mayor's political team. So notwithstanding the directions of the press secretary, this is just a continuation of the same old, same old. In fact, one of her staff, uh, we were at some program, I won't say which one it is, and I, I, I said to the staffer that she directed me to, uh, well, you know, I keep getting run around. Every time you guys say, she says she wants to come on, you guys are who I'm supposed to talk to, the coordinator, and you say whatever you say. And the woman turned to me and said, Reverend, well, you're working with me now, and it's going to be different. And I looked at her, I said, no, you're the very same one. And doing as you know I do, I pulled out my phone and forwarded to her the very same email from the last time I got to run around. And she gave me another run around. And here we are today. Here we are today with the press secretary saying we're looking forward to it. We think we absolutely want her message to be gotten out to the people. And what happens? On the day before... On the day before, uh, we're going to send you over to the campaign team. Um, so please talk to them. And I said, well, well, who are the campaign team? You the press secretary? <laughs> Help me understand what's going on. And I say this, I, I say this because quite a few folk continue to ask you, as you know, we've had Brandon Johnson on the, on the program. We had Cam Buckner on the program. We had Roger Sawyer, Alderman Sawyer, um, Commissioner Johnson, Representative Buckner on the program. And we've reached out to, to more. Uh, Alderman Sophia King had, uh, I think it was over the holidays, and she was just taking a break from the campaign. And all, all I'm saying is each and every one of those guys were just straight shooters. You got to know that Commissioner Johnson has a bevy of folk around him. Never had a problem. Representative Buckner, bevy of people. 
No problem. Autumn and Sawyer, no problem. We've got someone coming on shortly that bevy of folk around them, no problem. Why is it that the, the person, and I'm going to tell you, I have immense respect for Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot gets my respect, and I've said it in public. I'll say it on the air. I have immense respect for her, but oftentimes, Adia, it's who you have around you that reflects part of how you administer. Who you have around you and how they're organized around you, um, because the structure also plays the point or play comes into play. So as we know, when an individual runs for office, they are now the candidate of a larger program, a larger machine. Um, and so they often have campaign managers who are doing the campaign. But if you're an incumbent, um, you're still balancing those two jobs because you have your day to day team that helps you carry out. Um, you know, the duties of that office. And then you also still have a campaign team whose sole focus is on getting you reelected into that position. Um, and how you choose to organize those folks is important in terms of the leadership structure and then the communication structure as well. So who's in charge of what, but are they talking to each other? You know, is there one source of truth going on that can't always be that candidate slash um elected official because we can't all just go to that one person right if the purpose is to uh, delegate tasks and responsibilities then the folks who are in charge of those tasks and responsibilities ought to step up themselves into that leadership role and then continue to talk to the other leaders on the um, you know that are in the office all working towards that common goal uh, so the communication has to be there, as well as the infrastructure for how we relay those messages. So are you all comfortable texting and calling whenever something pops up? Are there weekly staff meetings? You know, something to try to get everybody on the same page so that, you know, all of this is a part of running an office, running a campaign. Um, we saw it play out even with uh, these former presidents and vice presidents having information at their private residences. Like, you know, yes, they are an individual, but they have a team behind them and someone whose responsibility and duty is to, you know, do handle paperwork turnover, paperwork transition and is getting messed up. But that falls down on who that elected official is, because you should not have that at your private residence. But it, so, yeah, <laughs> it's all about the folks you have around you, the structure you have around you and, you know, how we're talking to each other and communicating. It, it, as you were talking, I couldn't help but to think about the initial presidential run of former President Barack H. Obama. And we had, we were, you know, President Bush second was just pushing us into a economic catastrophe, so much so that uh, candidate Senator John McCain decided to halt his campaign so he can get back to Washington, D.C. and work out how they were, how the Senate was going to address the looming economic demise occasioned by the policies of George Bush II. And what did President Obama say? He said, I can campaign and still discharge my responsibilities as a United States senator. And then he said, because I've got a team that assists me on both sides. Right. I've got a senatorial staff team that assists me. I've got a campaign team that assists me. So I do not miss the discharge of my responsibilities. On the street, they might say, the brother could walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's elected officials. That's uh, who else has teams behind them? Sports athletes. You know, they have nutritionists. They have strength and conditioning coaches. They have the coaches on their team. They have managers. You know, they have they show up to do a magazine shoot and they still got to show up to practice. Like you, as you're saying, you can walk and chew gum at the same time if you have a proper team behind you. And in cities like Chicago, this is one of the questions that I would that all of the residents who are voting in Chicago might think about. Who is around your candidate? 
Who does your candidate have around him or her? When you see them in public, does their team at least aesthetically reflect the aesthetic of the city of Chicago? Which is to say, let us presume that Commissioner Brandon Johnson is successful. Will his team just look like him? Will his team only have hims, no hers, or no theys? Will his team look aesthetically like the very city he purports to want to manage? And if it does not, you got to ask, why not? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what we've learned in Chicago is this. If you don't have someone reflecting the community's plural on your team, then the community that's not reflected will be the community that remains marginalized, disenfranchised, and maybe policed up. Mm-hmm. And As so a, I'm, I'm going to push back and be devil's advocate a little bit on that one. Not again. You know, it's all about getting different perspectives. So if different perspectives, yeah, I'm just I'm probing you for more information. So if I want to be an informed voter and I'm researching, I understand the platforms of all these candidates. But you brought up something interesting in terms of looking at the team. How? How can I look at the team, right? Because it's not easy always to go on, you know, so-and-so for mayor.com and they don't have headshots of the press secretary as well as the campaign manager and everyone. So it may be a little harder to try to identify who that team is. So if you're telling folks to look at the team to see if they're representing, you know, the full diversity of the city and of the electorate, how can we look at the, the team? One of the things that I've noticed, and I don't know whether you have, is where well, you actually did attend the WCPT Mayoral Candidates Forum. Mm-hmm. And all of the candidates, particularly um, in the first section, um, that would be Mayor Lightfoot, um, Governor Gar- Apartment Congressman Garcia, uh, Mr. Vallis, Commissioner Johnson, and uh, Dr. Willie Wilson. Um, you could you could almost tell by who they had around them. For example, Commissioner Johnson had uh, young women, mm-hmm. young women of all ilks around him with also some young males. And they they, they just ran the whole gamut of what the city looks like. Uh, we saw you saw that again um, with uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. She also had uh, staffers that all of them didn't look like her. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them, all of them came from at least aesthetically different neighborhoods in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I know Paul Vallis. In fact, I met Paul Vallis uh, several years ago um, through an African American woman. Um, so even Paul Vallis's, think of what you want to think, but even Paul Vallis's people who introduced folk to him, et cetera, they look like the city. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess you have to kind of pay attention. Mm-hmm. And as you indicated, look online. Yeah, because these people aren't, um, you know, the front and center. Obviously, the candidate is front and center and who draws the most attention. Um, but just, you know, pushing folks to go one step beyond the face and understand the team because often um, these campaign managers specifically have lengthy backgrounds and experiences and have worked on other campaigns. And so if they've worked for other individuals who your philosophies align with, then, you know, chances are that that candidate that they're currently working for, your philosophies may align with them as well. But if you think that you're liking a candidate, you go, you look at their campaign manager, you say, hold on, this individual has managed campaigns for a whole host of folks I don't identify with. You know, something might That's be amiss important. here. That's mm-hmm. important. That's important. And to your point, uh, recently, Rogers Park Alderman, or on the woman, mm-hmm. Maria Hayden endorsed Brandon Johnson. She my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Johnson, your people. I don't know Maria Hayden. Just... Uh-huh. Johnson won the support from the local progressive group Network 49, of which Hayden is a member. Hayden, as you may recall, is a freshman alderman, and she's joined several council members to back the Cook County Commissioner. Now, that's so to your point, a couple of different things you can consider. Find out who the manager of the campaign is, what campaigns they've managed, mm-hmm. and then find out who is supporting the candidate. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? 
Yeah. All those things together to kind of continue to give you a full picture, complete picture uh, to understand who you're voting for. However, I also do hear music creeping in from the background to let us know that we have things to do. We have bills to pay. We have messages to convey. So please stick around with us and we'll be right back after this short station break. Are you looking for a new career? YWCA Metropolitan Chicago has partnered with a global manufacturing company seeking to fill several roles in their south suburban location. No experience required. They're seeking to fill the following positions. Assembly operator, automation technician, molding operator, quality inspector, setup technician, forklift driver, cycle counter, material handler. If interested, contact 773-902-8989. Email cvcf at ywcachicago.org. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit Zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Hello, this is Karen Carruthers, my Community Plan Foundation Nutritionist, coming to you today on this awesome Sunday with a generational health tip. I'd like to talk about nuts, almonds, cashews, walnuts, hazelnuts, all those types of nuts. Those are nuts, and then you have peanuts, which are actually legumes. These various nuts are high in healthy fats, they are rich in protein, they have antioxidants such as polyphenols and flavonoids which help reduce oxygenation in the body and prevent certain cancers and some nuts are high in magnesium, copper, selenium and zinc. So you want to make sure that you're eating raw nuts that are very healthy, not roasted nor high in sodium. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water and getting plenty of rest. Karen Carruthers, my Community Plan Foundation Nutritionist. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. On the phone now is former school, Chicago school superintendent, Philadelphia school superintendent, and New Orleans school superintendent, candidate for mayor for the office of Chicago here in Chicago. That's a lot of Chicago's. That's a, that's a title, man. Go ahead. We <laughs> got <laughs> Paul Vallis. First time on the program. Mr. Vallis, welcome to the show. I mean, I'm sorry for my throat is a little hoarse. <clears throat> I wonder why you could be campaigning. Yeah. <laughs> only 14 speeches a, speeches a day, right? <laughs> You're right. I have, uh, for, for those of you who, re- who remember the actress Deborah Winger, my wife said, you've got Deborah Winger's voice. She always had that coarse voice, if, if you remember. Yeah, I think she was in a movie with John Travolta, wasn't she? Oh, no, 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 The Officer and the Gentleman. No, yes. Two, a movie with um, Urban Cowboy. And then, of course, she was in Terms of Endearment, which is perhaps her most famous uh, movie with Shirley, with Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson. Going down memory lane. Going down exactly. memory lane. Hey, listen, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out from your journey to uh, at least let our listening audience hear your voice and some of your perspectives, although I'm sure they've heard it and heard it and heard it again. And then they've heard other folk talk about you then as well. Thank you. In studio, uh, my co-host, Adia Hayden, has a question for you. Adia, you're on. Oh, hello. Good morning. Um, so part of my what I bring here is the millennial Gen Z perspective. And so I would like to ask about, you know, not just how you plan to engage young voters, but beyond that, if you were to assume the office of the mayor, um, how would you continue to invite 
younger perspectives into how you make decisions and staying relevant with the latest um, data and resources available um, to continue to make innovative decisions? Well, first of all, that's a great question. Uh, There's a couple ways that you do that. There are so many initiatives, there's so many advocacy groups that are really being driven uh, and led by young people, both on issues like environmental protection or, for that matter, you know, the comprehensive plans that have been laid out to make, you know, the the city of Chicago the most bike-friendly community uh, city in the country. And I think, uh, you know, a a first step towards towards really involving uh, the community, particularly the younger generation, is to respect and acknowledge those organizations and really to sit down and really help them provide you with guidance. I mean, I like to think that my greatest strength is knowing what I don't know and then going out and finding people who know what I don't know and then listening to them and empowering them. So I think that's the first order of business. The second order of business is really to bring young people into your administration in positions of responsibility. And I've always been successful doing that. You know, there are well over 30 superintendents who at one time or another uh, gotten their start with me. In fact, Arnie Duncan was my deputy chief of staff uh, um, working for Dan Grigsby Jackson when I was the uh, uh, CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. Of course, he went on to be superintendent there. And then, of course, uh, Obama's education. Started. Did you all but, play basketball together? <laughs> I, I, listen, Arnie is a great, great basketball player, and he played with John Rogers. And it's like, it's this will go to show you uh, how how non-athletic I am. It was either like in the national two-on-two or three-on-three competitions, and I think they were champions. And he he just up a few years ago with play in like the celebrity game at the NBA during the NBA All-Star game. So he is one hell of a basketball player. Me, I still don't know what foot to do my layup off of. Well, let, let me say, I play ball with John Rogers, Paul Vallis, and um, fun fact, uh, President Obama. And the last game we played, I won. And he said, man, be careful. I could be your boss one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand. I understand. You know why? Why? While uh, Arnie played for Harvard, and I think he was the last player cut, and then uh, on Boston Celtics, and then he went on to play in Australia, where, where he, he met his wife. Um, I understand that Obama was a, a, a smooth, cerebral player. You know what I mean? Obama can talk trash with the best of them. In fact, the only one to talk more trash than President Obama was Michael Jordan. So, yeah, there's that. But you know who also likes basketball? The young people of Chicago. (laughs) So, you can continue on with your plan, sir. Well, my my older brother was the basketball player. He played for Trinity Christian um, with Daryl Phillips and and my middle boy was the athlete. I mean, he was a terrific athlete. But we were at the time, we were at the time running, uh, uh, I was running schools in Philadelphia. I have to, they took over that district. So he got he got a chance to play Philadelphia basketball, those those neighborhood teams and those neighborhood pickup teams. And, you know, I never promoted sports as I would because my middle boy is 6'7", about 255 pounds. So he could have easily been a, a power forward or a big, small forward. But, you know, I was my wife was the athlete in the family. I think they took over her. They took after her. <laughs> One of the things that I, I got to ask you about that we, we ask every for the last 15, almost 20 years now, we've been asking candidates for the fifth floor this question. You know, when Burnham, the urban planner, wrote out the plan for Chicago. He envisioned a rail line that went to the extension of Chicago's communities. But if you were to fly over Chicago right now, Mr. Vallis, you would think that Chicago stopped at 95th Street because the the red line stops at 95th, disenfranchising every heartbeat from 95th down to 130th. But here's my challenge. If we can agree, do we agree that transit-oriented development changes the economic lifeline of communities? If that's a fact around the world, when or why do the residents of Roseland, going all the way down to 130th Street, when would they get access to the L? 
Well, look, you know, I've been a strong supporter of the Red Line expansion since four years ago. And having grown up in Roseland and lived in Roseland, I went to uh, not only uh, uh, Pullman, uh, but I also went to Curtis and Finger High School. Um, I will tell you, the it, it's always been a neglected area. So we need to even go beyond the Red Line in terms of rail expansion. But let me tell you what else we need to do. Um, we need to take that property that runs the transit line, and we need to and we need to secure the property that is abandoned, secure the property that is vacant. We need to remediate the property, prep that property, and we need to smack ten-year property tax abatements so we can encourage development along those lines. Because it's not only the need to uh, to uh, uh, provide real access and to bring equity to the transit system, but it's important to create an economic conditions that will allow, whether it's housing or commercial, that will allow development along those corridors. And there's nothing like free land, there's nothing like 10-year property tax abatements, and there's nothing like investments in commercial, retail, and, and uh, 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 residential property to spur development. What we also have to do, and I'll just make a point, particularly on mass transit uh, across the city, is we, we've got to make safety a top priority because 50% of those riders who are surveyed by WBEZ indicate that they do not feel that riding public transportation is safe, and the fare box has fallen to 18% of the operating cost, which means when the COVID money runs out, the district, the, the a CTA could be facing bankruptcy. So that's that's an issue that has been skirted in this campaign and that I've brought up uh, uh, time and time again. So it's not only rail line access, it's also safety and it's also economic development along those borders. So I, I don't disagree with you, but I, I, I got to press you on the transit oriented development. You, you may know that the fast starts appropriated money for the extension. Um, I, I know when I organized those churches in that five mile square area from 95th to 130th, from Bishop Ford to Halstead, those pastors and those congregants, they would say, Reverend Johnson, we don't care if the purple line is upgraded, the blue line is upgraded, they can get all the new trains and new services they want to get, but can we at least get a Hugo, a Yugo, give me a three-wheeled vehicle, but give us something, don't give us nothing. So I got to ask you two questions regarding that community that you grew up in. Because you also know, going to high school at Finger, that the Lower Ninth Ward in Chicago is just like the Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans. No restaurants, no grocery stores. Good night. These folk are living like we're living in a third world country. Can you commit, should you raise your right hand to God and swear to uphold the Constitution of Chicago, that they will at least have the extension and a supermarket? Well, let me tell you, I did a, I did a, a, a talk at the, at the uh, Chicago Club, and everybody talk, thought my talk was going to be about uh, 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 public safety, but it was about south side, west side development, and I talked about what that means. And basically what I said is it's about this. It's about creating an independent economic development authority, free of fifth-floor politics, free of automatic privilege that will focus, focus, Solely on South Side, West Side development. The second thing I talked about was doing earmarking revenue uh, from a share of t- tax increment, financing revenue, casino revenue, cannabis revenue, uh, developer fee revenue, sports betting, uh, legalized gaming, which I will support, and putting that money in an economic development fund that will be used exclusively for the South and West Side. And then the third thing I talked about was the city going in and securing all the property. There's four and a half miles on the south side, four and a half square miles of property that is sitting idle. There are vacant lots. There are factories that have been abandoned. There's thousands and thousands of residential units that are either in foreclosure or scavengers uh, tax sales. And I said that what we're going to do is we're going to purchase all that property. We're going to remediate it, and we're going to provide 10-year property tax abatement, and we're going to make that property with the capital investment and and available to the community for economic development. And let me tell you what that also includes. The fourth part of my plan that I laid out and I articulated it's online, the fourth part of the plan was to restore not only food marts, but 
social service infrastructure. And the way you do it is by opening mental health centers in every community and opioid and drug addiction centers, as well as crisis intervention centers. But also the city can come in and the city can open public supermarkets where the city buys the land, the city uh, uh, prepares the site, and then the city brings in local ownership in partnership with maybe some of the bigger chains who can provide their supply chains. So what the city is doing is opening 15, 20, 25 food marts that are on the uh, caliber of a, a, you know, you know, a, a Pete's Fresh Market or a Mariano's. Because you know when the when the Kroger and Mariano consolidation occurs uh, later on this year, there's going to be 20 more stores closing. Mm-hmm. So I talked about the city getting into mm. the business of actually opening the supermarkets because they can be operated and tax free, like not for profits, and the city can subsidize those markets. And the city can put supermarkets in every single community. I tell you what, you sound a lot like what we do at NCP. We have now, Mr. Vallis, the largest vertical farm in the state of Illinois. It can be done. It's a function of the will. If the will of the fifth floor is to revitalize historically marginalized communities. It's one thing to talk about, yes, racism is here. Yes, redlining existed. It's a whole other thing to do what our good friend, um, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle does, and that is to intentionally impact those communities with an understanding of what they were denied and give it to them. Let them help themselves proceed. You know, four years ago, four years ago, I talked about the same thing. I called it the Marshall Plan for Chicago. Now, unfortunately, I, I gave it the wrong name because I kept on having to. <laughs> naming naming is important. I know. I know. And I said, oops. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so much for. But now, of course, now that I've got. Now that I'm uh, at least by some polls in the league, people are paying attention. But I have said this over and over again, and you can see it in all my public forums, because not only have I attended uh, um, uh, uh, like 22 public forums, electoral forums, but I've had about 24 ward uh, forums on my own. And I've said my legacy is not going to be restoring the police department and implementing the consent decree. And and my legacy is not going to be reversing the decline of the Chicago public schools and, you know, some people try to put misinformation out, uh, but I opened 78 schools, and most of those school buildings were open in on the west side and the south side, including Gwendolyn Brooks uh, in Roseland uh, uh, High School, the old Mendel that was right across the street from my house. But I said my legacy is going to be my ability to create uh, a, 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 an infrastructure in place that will reinvest should I even say reinvest? Have they ever invested? That will invest in the south side, invest in transportation, invest in food marts, invest in restoration of social service infrastructure, uh, and provide the not only the free land and the property tax incentives, but also the capital to invest on the south and west sides in ways that create local ownership and local wealth. Because the accumul- local ownership and the accumulation of wealth is what empowers communities, and that can be transferred to the next generation. That's how communities grow. And I've articulated this in writing and in my posts, and I've been talking about this for a long time. I'll tell you what, you sound an awful lot like in your creating independent economic authorities is what my notes suggest. It sounds an awful like what, like, like what President Preckwinkle did in the south side of Chicago, probably in south, southern Cook County. She created a Southland Economic Authority intentionally to revitalize communities. Now, uh, I'm just going to say, uh, should you raise your hand, we're going to have to hold you accountable uh, for these conversations and what you've posted. We want to thank you so very much for making time to talk to our listening audience. We appreciate you, sir. Well, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the wake-up call. And look, and I look forward to having a conversation after, um, uh, after the uh, first round uh, on Tuesday. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Paul Vallis in the background. Uh, Listen, keeping in your head, economic authority for Chicago. That would be an interesting thing. 
There is no music in the background because I asked the engineer not to, but now he will. <laughs> We're going to take a pause for the cause. This is the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. We'll be back shortly after this station break. YWCA Metropolitan Chicago has partnered with a global manufacturing company seeking to fill open positions in their South Suburban location. No experience required. If interested, contact 773-902-8989. Email cbcf at ywcachicago.org. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit Zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Welcome back to the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. I'm your host, Reverend Mitchell L. Johnson. And I'm I'm your co-host, Mitchell L. Hayden. Ekana Johnson. And I'm a Dia Hayden. Are you still a Dia Hayden? I am. You know, I got a little excited with Mr. Vallis. Um, and I, I made the analogy between what he's talking about doing, creating an independent economic authority in the city of Chicago that will focus specifically on West and South Side economic development. I think that's an excellent idea. Well, I, whatever, whoever raises their hand and becomes the mayor of Chicago, I think that's an excellent idea because there has to be a formal concerted effort to address the South and West sides and, and build gen- uh, generational wealth, which I thought was something, oh, sorry, I'm hopping all over your comment, um, but <laughs> something I thought. Well, you have fans, really so they'll probably be happy that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to y'all. But um, yeah, building generational wealth on the South and West sides, like he didn't say it, but we'll say it. That's the black people. That's the black and brown communities putting money in the pockets of them now, making them owners of businesses, owners of land. Um, hopefully, you know, and this, not, is, this is an idea. We're not trying to suggest that only black and brown folk are in need of assistance. But we will say this. I, I'll say it. I'll say it. Um, both Governor Pritzker. Now, feel the way you want to feel about the governor. The legislative intent of whether it was the Illinois Solar for All, even the legislative intent behind the recreation of marijuana had to do with economic opportunities for black and brown communities. Did it work according to plan? Not yet. But I will say I do see a whole lot of black-owned dispensaries popping up in the city of Chicago, which I don't see in other cities. And and by the way, with that being said, uh, we do have an opportunity for SEAs, uh, social equity applicants, to receive a... We have an investor. So we have someone right now who wants to invest in SEAs. We've been trying to put this together. We've gotten it done. And if you just give us a call at 309-703-5292, 309-703-5292, we will connect you with these investors today. Time is short, so I'm glad we're on this topic. But think about this. Uh, Governor Pritzker and President Preckwinkle were very intentional in their administration of moving forward with mechanisms intentionally directed to marginalized communities, which is why his conversation sounded an awful lot like what President Preckwinkle is doing right now. And we know the Southland Economic Authority, led by Bo Kemp, is doing insanely productive work. Everything from free taxes to uh, small businesses to connecting small, small entrepreneurs with larger entrepreneurs so they can learn how to scale up their companies and more importantly, helping to create business opportunities in the Southland for your group. And, you know, we can't talk about Southland business development without talking about the Chicago Southland Chamber of Commerce, headed up by our new, their, 
the new chairwoman, Miss <laughs> Benita Parker. Hand clap before Benita Parker. Yes, we did. Yes. What a transition. Smart person that you are. Yes. We did have an opportunity to bear witness to the change of power to yet another African-American the woman. The handing of the gavel. The huge gavel that it was to Benita Parker. And she had um, Marty Martin, Mar- um, Martin King. Yes. And John Rogers, mm-hmm. and I forget the name of the, the third, it'll come to me. Melissa Knight. All I can say is she has some business titans, yes. business titans. And so here is African a... African-American titans of industry. Yes, 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 yes. To a sold out room, there was not an empty chair in the Idlewood Country Club. Idlewild. Idlewild. Thank you very much, Idlewild. And I played golf there, too. I should, I should know better. Um, but I, I'm so excited about Benita Parker taking taking the helm. Uh, and we got a chance to take a look at her um, executive team, mm-hmm. which includes our very dear friend, uh, Bernard Allsbury. Mm-hmm. Um, but Benita Parker, this is your time to shine. Your time to continue making a difference. We saw videos from um, 2nd Congressional District uh, Representative. That would be Robin Kelly, Congresswoman Robin Kelly. And, you know, we, we were, I would have been surprised if I did not see my commissioner, Cook County Commissioner of the 6th District, Donna Miller. The room was full. Even um, Representative Debbie Myers Martin. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of folks showed up to bear witness to Benita Parker taking over the Southland Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, which is, you know, excellent to see the intersection of business and elected officials, because um, oftentimes you might hear of elected officials and red tape being in the way for new business owners. Um, But it was great for everyone to gather in the same room and understand that there is a common goal to see economic development, business development in the Southland. Um, And in particular, after the great ceremony that we saw in the handing over the gavel, there was the conversation between the titans of industry uh, where there were many gems dropped. Um, It was a great conversation. And for me, one of uh, the big takeaways was from Mr. Martin King talking about the import. Well, building on Benita Parker's comment of your network is your your net worth. worth. Yes. Um, And so Martin King spoke about just, you know, what he called being a nuisance to all the adults in his neighborhood. But, you know, what the reality is, is just talking to people and getting to build your network and just, you know, chatting up everyone. Not everyone you see, but folks who you see doing well, people who are doing things in a space that maybe you want to be in. Just go on up, say hi, introduce yourself. Let some of that magic rub off on you and get into conversation so that, you know, once you are in a position to start making moves, you can call upon those people and say, hey, remember our conversation or it was great meeting you there um, and continuing to expand your network so that you can uh, rely on them. One of the things that we've got to do a better job at, and that is um, getting more small businesses to join your local chamber of commerce. And if you're in the Southland, if I've got to explain what the Southland is, it's probably because you don't live there. So this might not be for you. But if not you're the South Side, <laughs> Southland, if you're in the Southland, you owe yourself to go ahead and reach out to the Chicago Southland Chamber of Commerce, where the brand new chair. The brand new chairperson is our dear friend, Benita Parker. Congratulations, Chairwoman Parker. We are looking for wonderful results of your presence and your leadership. She's already one of the greatest things that goes on in the southern portion of Cook County as we speak. Mm-hmm. Yes. This has been a wonderful show. This has been a wonderful show. We don't need a guest. Well, we can have a guest. <laughs> We're also great. <laughs> we want to go ahead and thank again Paul Vallis for joining us on the line. Mr. Vallis, yeah, should your hand go up and one hand come down, we are going to look for the commencement of the Greater Independent Economic Authority for Chicago. Independent Economic Authority has a wonderful ring to it. I'm your host, Reverend Mitchell L.E. Kenneth Johnson. The last day to vote for your Chicago mayor is February 28th. And this is your co-host, Adia Hayden, wishing everyone a grateful week. Remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out and vote!